This is Vitriol Plays, one of the producers of Once Upon a Wasteland and the voice of Odessa Valdez in the show. I'd like to take a moment before we start the episode to let you know about our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash onceuponawasteland. It's a great way to support the show and to get some perks, including behind-the-scenes content, access to our private Discord server, and exclusive merchandise. Now, let's find out what Beth and Odessa are up to in this episode. Thank you for listening. This is Lucy Middleton, the voice of Amanda in Once Upon a Wasteland. Before we start the episode, I'd like to take a moment to let you know about our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash Once Upon a Wasteland. It's a great way to support the show and get some perks too, including behind the scenes content, access to our private Discord server, and some cool merch. Now, Let's see what kind of trouble I get into in this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the fourth Once Upon a Wasteland minisode. Character Matters, Odessa Valdez. One note before we get started, there will be some spoilers for episodes one through eight, but I will do my best to keep them on the mild side. I'm Brad Williams, the creator of Once Upon a Wasteland. You may also know me as the voice of Modus and a few other characters on the Modus Files. These minisodes are intended to provide a peek behind the curtain and provide some insight into the show, the story, the characters, and in some cases, the people behind them. This is one of those cases. I will be joined in a moment by Vitriol Plays, who portrays Odessa Valdez in our story. But before we get to our main topic, I like to spotlight reviews that the show's received. There are a few different platforms that allow reviews. Apple Podcasts does, and Spotify is rolling them out as well. Any new five-star reviews that we receive will be read on the air. Today's review comes from Apple Podcasts, and it was left by Mighty Mouse 768 on April 4th. Here's the review. I love this pod. OMG, the romance story is amazing. Voice acting top tier, and it's so compelling. Great job, all. Thank you so much for that review, Mighty Mouse, and we are so glad that you're enjoying the show. And thank you for leading off with the mention of the romance. That's really one of the the key areas where if that falls flat, or even if it doesn't quite ring true, the the show is, it's just not going to work. And the voice acting is a huge part of that. I I think that Letitia and Vitriol have done a really fantastic job of, of making that relationship feel believable in a way that's, that's a lot more than just what's, what's written on the script and on the page. As I said, if you leave a five-star review on any of the platforms that I have access to, Whenever we have a minisode, I will read it out, and we'll give you a shout-out. So keep leaving those five-star ratings and five-star reviews. So let's talk about Odessa Valdez. To do that, I am joined by Vitriol Plays, who voices Odessa in our show. I strongly encourage you to check her out on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash vitrioleplays. And on Twitter, you can find her at playsvitriol. She is not just a cast member. She has become a partner on the show, and... I think that's one of the key reasons that the show has continued to get stronger as we've gone along. And looping back to the topic of, the, of this minisode, you you hear about art imitating life, and there is a lot of her in Odessa. Uh, not only is she an actual scientist like Odessa, she is smart and funny and passionate and engaging and beautiful, just like the character. I, I, I didn't realize it at the time. But I, I pretty much landed the perfect Odessa when she agreed to join the cast back in October. 
So welcome, Vitriol, and I am really looking forward to diving deep on this character with you today. Thank you so much for having me. One of the things that I mentioned was the casting process. And from my perspective, I had heard you on the Modus Files Halloween episode, and I, I had put a casting call out on Casting Call Club, and there were there were some some solid additions. But I heard your performance in the Modus Files Halloween episode, and I thought, that is who I want to play this role. And I asked Lawrence, and you, uh, I guess you got a couple of copies of the scripts, and you listened to it. So how did that process play out from your perspective? Uh, this is something that I have been thinking about also, and I really don't remember how I got involved with the Modus Files. Um, I did a few small parts. Uh, I played a character named Janet and Lorenzo, and then eventually did the Halloween episode, which was fantastic. I love Halloween. I was completely blown away when Lawrence asked me to be part of the Halloween episode. Um, so once I did that, um, he mentioned Once Upon a Wasteland and told me that it would be a co lead, which I was really nervous about. And I was also pretty scared about jumping into an existing character where this wasn't an original character. It was a character that existed already in a game. So it was definitely something that I hesitated and I, I really wasn't sure that I was going to be the right person for this role. Another thing I was concerned with is that I am not a Spanish speaking individual. I'm not Latina. And I do think that representation matters. So I was nervous about taking this role as someone who is a Caucasian woman. But I do think there are a lot of other characteristics that she embodies that I do have. So I did end up <laughs> trying to audition. So it all worked out, I guess, in the end. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about one of the things that you mentioned at the at the beginning, which which was you are in a unique position in this show because the character that you're playing, like you said, is a character that exists in the game. And not only is Valdez a character that exists in the game, she's really a, a beloved character. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the main drivers of this story getting created was the inability to romance Scribe Valdez in the game, getting to the point where it was practically a meme. You know, it's 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 funny how these these story ideas come about, but love for Valdez is a is a well established part of, of Fallout 76 in the, in the wider 76 community. So, I mean, I, I can understand your trepidation because there's a lot of pressure involved in not just taking on a character that already exists, but one that is beloved to that. So how did that inform the way that you approached this character, the, the way that you approached your performance and, and what you put into Odessa as you read through the scripts and as you performed the scripts that you received? I knew she was an existing character, but I did not know that she was so loved. I had no idea until I started to play Odessa and then everyone made all these comments about how amazing she was and how, how dateable, you know, what a catch she is. And I, I had no idea. So I certainly did love the character. My concern was that since I haven't had a lot of experience in acting, let alone voice acting, that I knew I would not be able to copy her voice. So one thing that I think stuck out to me was that when she speaks, she always sounds like she's smiling. So I tried to do that in my performance and always make her a little bit more upbeat than maybe I would be in her voice. And hopefully that came across because she does always seem to be really upbeat and positive whenever she talks. So it was definitely something that I was worried about jumping into an existing character. 
but maybe because I didn't know how how loved she was, you know, that made me a little bit more confident. It reminds me a little bit of sometimes you hear actors and, and it baffles us as fans when somebody comes into Star Wars or Star Trek or Lord of the Rings or some other massively popular franchise and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I knew this existed, but I didn't really know anything about it. And, and it's like Han Solo or something. You know, and so I, I think, I mean, really, in a lot of cases, I think that helps because it does take some of the pressure off and it allows you to make the character your own. And I think that's one of the things that I told everybody pretty early on was I, I really want the actors to feel a sense of investment in the characters and to make these characters their own. And you, more than anybody else, had a lot more attached to that than other people because like Letitia with Beth, I mean, Beth is not a character that existed before this podcast was created. So she could right from the get go without having to worry about any of that stuff, go in and make Beth exactly the character that she wanted Beth to be. So going a little bit further in that you knew about Valdez as an existing character. You weren't entirely aware of how beloved she was with the community. How much did you know about the character's background in the game and the information about her that, that was presented in canon? Um, I definitely played through 76, uh, and I did do the Brotherhood of Steel questline. So I knew a bit about her origin, you know, traveling across the country, hiking across the country with Romani and Shin. But I definitely didn't know about how people reacted to her from their perspective, you know, when I was playing through the game, my original character, I had never seen Valdez as, you know, like a dateable character. She was not on my radar, despite being uh, you know, an amazing character. Uh, I was really into Johnny, you know, Rudy always loves the bad boy. Uh, so I I hadn't looked at her in that light. But, you know, you do some questing with her and, and she's a very like loyal brotherhood individual very intelligent, you know, into mechanical things. But I don't know that there's a whole lot about her background that we really get in game. I mean, we get that she's from California and she comes across the country. She's got parents that are referred to. They're also in the Brotherhood. So, you know, she's like a Brotherhood brat. But I don't really know that we get much more than that. Yeah, there's not a lot. There, there's some stuff that you can find on the uh, on her terminal where she talks a little bit about her relationship with Scribe Nakano who was her mentor with the Brotherhood. And it was originally supposed to be Scribe Nakano that went on the expedition, but she had health problems, so she wasn't able to. So there's a few mentions of of that relationship and how she she really wanted to do this to carry on Scribe Nakano's legacy. There's some stuff in there about how she feels, I don't know about feels badly, but she she almost feels guilty about having grown up as a scribe and being so sheltered while everybody else was out there engaged in combat and putting their, their lives on the line all the time. But yeah, but you're right. There's, there's not a huge amount of stuff. And, and, and really, I think that was one of the things that, that made me a little bit more comfortable in adopting her as a, a character in this show, because in some ways she kind of was a cipher. There was some background stuff. There's everything that happens in the, the brotherhood quest, but she's not an extremely, strongly defined character but she does have some traits like you mentioned like how she's smart and she's loyal and she she very much is a brotherhood type person she's not a character that you're like what is this person doing in the brotherhood she's she's somebody who very much fits into that brotherhood mold and i think we we probably assume that that's because she literally grew up in the brotherhood like you said her her parents were, were members of the brotherhood so one other thing uh, and and i mentioned it in in the intro is 
you do share some characteristics with Odessa. And that was something that I, I, I told Lawrence, I was like, I, I can't believe my luck. I have an actual honest to goodness scientist playing the role of this brotherhood scientist in a situation like that, where you share attributes with, with a character, how much does that play into the way that you approach a role? Do you try to put that part of you into it? Or do you try to keep that part a little bit separate because you're different kinds of scientists or the situation that you're in obviously is completely different from what a Brotherhood of Steel scribe would be? And I'm, I'm curious about how that relates to the way that you approach the character and the way that you approach the performance. I definitely do include my science background I think really, I mean, honestly, in everything I do, but I definitely think it adds to the character, even though I am a different type of scientist. I'm a biologist. Odessa, I think, is more of an engineer. I do think that being comfortable with things like complicated vocabulary, terminology is helpful. And I'm so thankful to have that background when playing a character that uses some elevated vocabulary occasionally. So I think I do bring in my science background, even though I would not be comfortable working on a, a bird a bird or, you know, some type of terminals. I'm not great with coding, for example, like Odessa would be. But I do think that having that background is is helpful because it makes me feel a little bit more confident than I would have. But I was also wondering if I was typecast. I was like, oh, did I just get this role because I'm a science nerd or no, <laughs> just a coincidence? Yeah, I, I had no idea. Uh, <laughs> I, I think Lawrence may have mentioned um, your occupation, but I, I, I don't think he, he mentioned your background in science. So you got, you got that purely, <laughs> purely on the strength of your performance. <laughs> and, and one thing that the audience probably doesn't know, very early on, you kind of saved my bacon a little bit with a line that I had put in there. I think it was in episode two. It was in the conversation with Dr. Flagler, that first conversation with him, where I threw in a line about only using 10% of our brains, mm -hmm. which you said that is not true. And I was so grateful. It, that That is the moment, I think, when I thought, okay, this is, this is going to work. <laughs> because not only were you knowledgeable enough to know that, you were also you were willing to speak up and and tell me that was wrong and that that meant a lot to me you know that that showed me that you were you were invested in the show you were invested in the character you wanted you wanted us to get it right and we did so of course that led to extra work because then i leaned on you for stuff <laughs> after that like uh, i have the science question can you please answer this for me um, and you always did so oh that's okay yeah i'm absolutely happy to to help and i'm i'm so glad to be that science representative, you know, I do think, again, representation matters. And I do think that having science portrayed correctly when possible is important. And, you know, certainly we're suspending some belief here, because we're in a universe that is crazy. And there's lots of technology that doesn't exist. But you know, when we can get close science, I think that is important. And my background is in neuroscience. So that definitely helped out in that situation. Mm -hmm. And and I think another thing, speaking on representation, I think that there is a tendency and, and I, I guess it's sort of a, a natural factor of, of you know, a, an hour long TV show or a two hour movie that scientists often kind of get shunted into these background roles where they're they're really just there as plot devices and they are not mm -hmm. there as fully formed people. And even in cases where they kind of flesh them out a little bit, it still just doesn't, it doesn't feel like they're giving enough focus to that part of people. That's one thing that that's 
I'm sure this comes across that's that's important to me is any character that I write or any character that I create, I want to make sure that they are a whole person. And I think when you have a lead character like Odessa, who is a scientist, I think making sure that she is that complete person, that she has multiple sides to her personality and she's not Commander Data from Star Trek mm-hmm. or C-3PO or something. You know, she's she is a, a, a person who who has emotions and who laughs and can get upset with someone and has strong opinions and is even occasionally wrong about things. You know, all those things lead into making somebody a a character and a person who is believable and who who you want to follow. I think that's especially important with women because if you are a character that is a woman and a scientist, often you don't get to have emotions or you don't get to have a personality. You're just, you know, that scientist and that that is your role in the piece. And that can be very frustrating to watch. And I think that often then many people have this opinion of scientists that they're cold and, you know, just data driven and, you know, completely logical when they're human too. And I think that we do a pretty good job of showing the human side of Odessa. Yeah. And, and, and I think what I tried to do was take the building blocks that, that we get in the game, even though there aren't a lot of them, and combine that with sort of backstory that I wrote that made sense in the context of the of the story that we're trying to tell, bring them together in a way that isn't contradictory. And it's it doesn't make it feel like I took two characters, one of them, this like you said, cold data-driven scientist and another one who is just kind of a, you know, a romantic, emotional person who's out there falling in love and sort of mash these two characters that weren't the same person together. And I think that the way that you approach it really sells that because you can tell that it's the same person and the same character, whether she is talking about something that is purely scientific or or purely mission oriented or, or purely brotherhood oriented and when she's talking about something that is personal, even deeply personal, they, they feel like the same person, even though the dialogue and what she's saying and what she's feeling is is radically different. You make it very clear that this is the same person experiencing these things and, and saying those words. So I, I think that's another thing that, that, that sells it. And again, I keep saying this, but you have kind of a tougher road to hoe than any of the other characters because the other characters don't have that stark differentiation between two aspects of their personality. Odessa is a scientist and an extremely competent one. And she is also a person, right? Beth doesn't have that. Beth's personality, whether she's on a spy mission or whether she is talking with Amanda about something or whether she's trying to woo Odessa, she handles that stuff in a lot of ways very similarly. So you mentioned that uh, you were glad early on that I corrected something in the script. And I'm so glad that you had that uh, that view of it because I viewed it as being bossy. <laughs> <laughs> I was really worried that you would think that I was just jumping in and, you know, trying to boss you around as the person that is writing everything. You know, I'm just supposed to be a voice actress. So, you know, it's not necessarily my place to make that distinction, but I'm so glad that you were receptive. Yeah. And 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 like I said, I, 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 I did try to create an environment early on where people did feel comfortable with that kind of thing. And, and honestly, when I tried to express that, I wasn't even thinking about factual inaccuracies because I didn't think there would be a lot of places where there would be factual inaccuracies. Like I could see messing something up in lore, like, oh no, 
Roger Maxson created the Brotherhood of Steel in this year, not that year. No, that that kind of thing, because I'm not a, a, a deep dive lore expert on some of this stuff. And we don't really get into a lot of hard and fast stuff like that. So the fact that that happened and the fact that it happened early on, I think, helped, you know, sort of lampshade that that was OK to do, because really the kind of thing that I was thinking of was you would read a scene and, and this has happened also. You would read a scene or someone else would read a scene and go, you know what? I don't think this character would react like that. Or I don't think this character would say that, that kind of a thing, like more character stuff. But I think that that instance happening early on really did show that I wasn't going to get upset or get offended when somebody came to me and said, hey, you know, maybe this, maybe you could handle this a little bit differently, or this thing is factually incorrect and you really shouldn't put it in there. So yeah, I, thank you for speaking up. And uh, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad you did. <laughs> Thinking about Odessa from episode one through episode eight. I, I don't want to talk about episode nine yet because I know that you're, you've already read the script and you've probably already started recording, but episode eight is the last one that we've released. How, how do you think that Odessa has evolved over those eight episodes? I think that she's definitely, I don't want to say that she's come out of her shell, but I feel like we as an audience are getting to see more of Odessa. So we, we now know that she's a lot more complicated than maybe we had anticipated. Uh, she's not just a Brotherhood of Steel member, and we're starting to see her personality. And I, I enjoy that we're getting to explore Appalachia with her or you know, see it through her eyes. I think that that's a really neat perspective. So I think she's definitely become more of a complex character, but I think that's just because, you know, we didn't know what to expect from her early on. Yeah. And, and I tried to, in the early episodes, I think I concentrated on what we did know about Odessa from the game. Mm -hmm. And you know, the first big comedy scene where Mr. Douglas comes in with his technical data and tries to woo Scribe Valdez and you murdered him <laughs> with with words. Poor Mr. Douglas. We never heard from him again. But yeah, it's it, things like that. But then as we learned more about her, we were able to open things up and explore her as a person as we explored Appalachia with her. And I think another part about that is at first when we meet her, we see her interacting with a couple of people from the Brotherhood of Steel and with Beth. But then as time goes on, we see her interacting with other characters, characters outside of the circle that she normally interacts with. We see her interact with Amanda and we see her interact with Beth's parents and with Charles. And the way that she deals with those people is fundamentally different from the way that she deals with people in the Brotherhood of Steel. At first, there's not necessarily that level of trust built up that she would have with a paladin Romani, someone that she's known her entire life. But in part because of her relationship with Beth and the fact that she she trusts Beth, almost implicitly trusts Beth, she trusts Amanda, even though Amanda's a raider. And she trusts Beth's parents, even though Beth's father, they make no we make no secret about the fact that he's he's a spy and has been for the past 40 years. So I think we see her expand her horizons a little bit but not in a way that's that's jarring. So I, I, I feel like that was always in her, mm-hmm. but we do get to see her realize that and we get to see her grow. And I think that, that one of the things that you've put in there, and I don't know if this was something that you've done consciously, but I've noticed that Odessa has grown 
a little bit more confident in the way that she expresses herself. She's she's always stood up for herself. That's that's one character trait that I that I did want to make sure I put in there right from the get go, because it just wouldn't be believable if she was a pushover based on what we know about her from the game. And also just the fact that she's a member of the Brotherhood of Steel. It would just be silly if she was a, you know, a shrinking violet or, or if she let Beth or Amanda push her around. That just that just wouldn't ring true. But I think that not only in the way that she interacts with people, but also in the way that she approaches the various missions that they're on. And I think this is something that I think you had a lot of fun with. The first mission where they go undercover. And you you know you noted this, and I don't know if you thought it was a mistake or if you were just kind of pointing it out, but you you noted that she tells Beth, hey, I'm just going to handle the science stuff here. <laughs> you can handle all the spy work. And then she took command through the whole thing and barely <laughs> let Beth get a word in edgewise, which that was entirely intentional. And what I wanted to do was show how she sort of stumbled upon these things that she found that she was good at and felt confident about. And Beth gave her some of that confidence, but she also has that innate confidence in her abilities, generally speaking, to do anything. So is that something that you did intentionally, you know, expressing that that increased confidence as the season has gone on? Or is that just something that sort of naturally subconsciously happened? I think that particular scene, I really took on the viewpoint of that that confidence came from her being nervous. And that was how she dealt with the anxiety. She just kind of went on autopilot and, you know, unintentionally took over. She says, oh, hey, I'm going to be quiet. I'll let you do everything. But then she did everything. So I kind of thought that maybe that was her way of dealing with the nervousness. You know, she just wasn't even thinking about what she was doing, but wanted to be successful in the endeavor. So I think that that's probably how I would behave in that situation where I, you know, out of nervousness would just overact, but it worked out for her. So I don't know that I'm intentionally, uh, you know, having her respond different. I mean, you're you're writing everything. So I'll, I'll give that credit to you, you know, to, to show that growth. Maybe I'm also becoming more confident and that might come through the voice acting as well. Art imitating life again, I guess. But and, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there is there is some part of it that's that's in the writing as well. But it's one of those things where there's there's a synergy involved in that. And if I do an episode on Amanda, this is something that I think I'll talk about at length. But sometimes the performer informs the way that you write a character. Mm-hmm. And I, I should even say sometimes I think that's once you, you once you establish a comfort level with an actor, it can definitely open up the way that you write. Because in the first few episodes because the first two scripts were written before anybody was cast. So it was really almost like a second service in tennis where you just need to get it over the net and not make any unforced errors. But then when the cast is in place, then you can kind of open yourself up because you know what the cast or each individual actor not only is capable of, but what they're really good at. And I mentioned Amanda because I wasn't expecting to get Lucy just like I wasn't expecting to get Letitia that completely floored me. I, I mentioned that on the, the Beth mini sode, but with Lucy, it was the same kind of a thing. And, and I knew Lucy's work previously. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I found out that she had agreed to come on, I was like, all right, Katie bar the door where this is, this, this one's going to be fun. Cause I knew that I could start off a little bit more aggressively in, in the way that I wrote Amanda than I maybe would have 
otherwise. And with you not being as familiar with your work as I was certainly with Lucy and definitely with Letitia as well, I, th- I feel like like my writing in general and my writing of the character has grown significantly because of you and because of of how well you have uh, embodied this character and how you've become invested in this character. You know, you really are Odessa. There's probably no better example of that than what happened in episode seven, <laughs> where you played, was it six roles? I think. I think so. <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, and, and it's amazing because I, I, I listened back to that episode and it is unbelievable to me. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm somebody who, who has a reasonable amount of a, experience with with voice acting both doing it and you know being a part of casts that do it and the way that you pulled that off was unreal because it's such a weird distinction because each one of those characters either is odessa or is kind of odessa even dr troiani was half dr troiani but half odessa because beth was projecting odessa onto that construct and then you have the the false Odessa, who was more uh, a construction of Beth, but also a construction of the machine, but still, for the most part, she was Odessa. And you managed to change your performance subtly enough that we always knew which version of Odessa this was, but you didn't do it in a way like it was a completely different character. And that's that's not easy to pull off. That was very impressive. I hope it came across, you know, to the listener. I mean, and definitely having the voice effects helps. I was so thankful for that. But that that was definitely my favorite episode. Uh, it became really complicated to figure out how to save everything. So as I was recording everything, I was like, okay, how do I distinguish that this is this character, this is you know the other character? But it it worked out. I think that was uh, definitely my favorite episode. Yeah, it, it it was a lot of fun, and it was fun to edit too because throwing the and it, you did a good job of organizing it because I I did get a little confused a couple times, but <laughs> but I, it it did all come out in the wash. It was okay, but it wasn't because of of the way that you saved anything. That that part was was very well done. But just listening to the there was almost interaction between the different versions of Valdez, especially at the end mm-hmm. when you have the real Odessa who's out on the outside, you had the false Valdez that's trying to keep her there. And then you had Dr. Troiani right before that, trying to deliver facts, you know, in, in a way that Odessa probably would in a situation like that. So little, little things like that. I, I thought it was, I, I thought it was great. You, you did a, you did a good job, but to, to loop back to my, my overall point there, I would not have even considered writing that scene that way. If I didn't know that you could pull it off. And pull it off extremely well. I didn't know that I could pull it off, so I'm glad that you. <laughs> I'm glad that you have confidence. Well, it's. It, you might not be familiar. There's a movie called Citizen X, which is one of my favorite movies. It's a, an HBO movie from the '90s, I think, or maybe the early 2000s. It's about Andre Chikatilo, who was the, one of the most prolific serial killers in world history. He was a serial killer in the Soviet Union. But anyway, there's a part near the end where the person who is running the investigation has a sit down with the general that is in charge of security for the, for the whole Oblast. And they have this heart to heart. And one of the things that the general tells this lead investigator is he had been talking to the FBI and the FBI had thought that he had just continually pushed and pushed and pushed this investigator in search of his limits. But 
found out that he didn't have any. Mm. And that's kind of how I felt with that episode. I knew I was pushing it, <laughs> but I also knew that you were going to be able to do it. I guess it was, I guess it was a gamble. I guess, <laughs> I guess it was a, a leap of faith like Beth had to take at the very end of the episode, but I, I, I knew you'd do it. I knew you'd be able to do it. And as is almost always the case, it turned out even better than I thought it would. And I thought it was going to turn out really well. Oh, good. And, and the feedback on that episode has been great. I, I, I do, I do believe it's our best episode yet. There's a, there's a lot going on and yes. there, there's a lot of moving parts. It's very complicated, but I think it, I think it paid off and that is down to you. And it's, it's really down to Letitia because both of you killed it. And yeah. similarly to how I, I said that the, um, if the love story falls flat, then the show doesn't work. If what you guys did in that episode doesn't work, then it just ends up being super cheesy. Everyone was fantastic in that episode. I mean, I, I really think that, not that the other episodes were not great, because they certainly were, but I really think that, that, what, that everything just came together perfectly. Every single person did a phenomenal job. Uh, you know, some, some of the characters I, I really wanted to hear more of because they were just fantastic. Yeah, like uh, like Dr. Holcomb is an example of that, I think. And I ended up writing a much larger role for that character based on the performance that that Arya gave. You know, mm -hmm. she was and, and she was she was something a little bit different. It's sort of like how Rach was as Audrey and how how Eric mm -hmm. is as Bones and the tavern worker and a couple of other characters. They give a performance that jars you a little bit out of the out of the, the general feeling that you get because you, you, you don't get lulled into a, you get comfortable. Yeah. 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 And I'm not the kind of person that wants people to be uncomfortable, but I also don't mm -hmm. want people to fall asleep because no matter how good the episode is, if, if it's, if it gets samey, it's almost like, you know, like a, a lullaby. And, and I certainly don't mm -hmm. want that, but then you have Eric who comes in and has a very distinctive voice and a really neat way of performing. And it, it's the same way with Arya, a completely different kind of voice, but also com very different from the from the performance styles of the of the people that we that we see most of the time. And I, I think that helps quite a bit. It does. They just pull you in a different direction, but they're still part of the same universe. They're part of the same world. But it's like, you know, eating food. You want to have different flavors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so you want to hear those different voices. And they've done a great job. So when you sit down to record what what's your process like do you study the script do you run lines with anybody how does that whole process from getting the script in discord to sending the lines to me how does that whole process play out for you i start with reading the script i like to give it uh just at least two times read the script to get the general vibe and uh especially to kind of see how the other characters are interacting with Odessa. So then I would normally highlight my lines, but you thankfully are, are doing that for us now. So the first couple scripts, I definitely uh, rejected your highlighting. and was like, no, I'm going to do it on my own because I was convinced that that was a necessary part of the process. But now I, I've embraced your automatic highlighting because you have so graciously um, highlighted my lines in blue at my request. So I, I definitely use that. And then I'll, I'll read it twice. Sometimes I'll kind of like mentally say it, but not actually say it out loud, you know, as I'm reading just to kind of get 
uh, an idea of how I would want to deliver a line. And then usually when I sit down to record in the, the rare moments that I do not have anyone else in the house and I try to do each line at least three times. Sometimes I'll send you multiples if I'm not sure how something wants to be delivered. Um, sometimes I just send one if I'm pretty confident. It just depends on on the lines. I definitely struggle with the lines that are shorter. Uh, so like one word, two word lines have been pretty difficult. I don't know if other people feel that way about lines, but just if you give me one word, especially a name, I, I'm going to struggle with uh, how to deliver that that one word. So then I will save everything and uh, sometimes come back and listen to it later. I don't always do an entire scene at a time, but I like to at least uh, try to do one scene and then take a break and come back to another scene or in the case of, you know, episode seven, I did one char one character at a time rather than, you know, each scene at a time because it, I, I didn't want to have to switch back and forth. So I, I don't know if that's the best recording process, but that's what I've been doing so far. I mean, it's, it's worked out well from my perspective. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I have no complaints. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you the, the highlighting thing, I'm glad that Final Draft gives you the option to automatically highlight each character's lines. Yes. Because I, with modus files, I'll go through and I'll highlight them myself, but sometimes I miss lines. Mm -hmm. I just do. And I, yeah, it saves so much time. And then you don't have the the potential mm -hmm. of missing. a line. Yeah. I, I hate, I remember one time with modus files, Lawrence came back to me and was like, Hey, you missed these three lines. I was like, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. And then he came back. He's like, Oh, you also missed these two. I'm like, okay, did I record any lines? <laughs> but that, that kind of thing happens. <laughs> So this is something that I'm that I'm kind of curious about. For the most part, when I do stuff for Modus files or, or other ones, there's kind of a sense of detachment because if I play Modus, I'm an AI, so there's naturally going to be a detachment between that character and the characters that I'm interacting with. But you, and really, I mean everybody else in the in, in this show, it's not like that. You you are having intimate conversations and sometimes very emotional conversations. How how do you and you, this, you may not even know this, but how do you approach something like that where you know that you're one half of a conversation? Like, do you, do you <laughs> think about the way that the other character's talking? How, how, do you, how do you approach that? I definitely think about what the other characters would sound like, um, what, what their perspective on the situation is, because since we do not read together, you know, I don't, I literally don't know what the other person is saying or, um, you know, what their tone is in a situation. So I am always impressed that we always seem to be on the same page, you know, and I think that Letitia, especially, I definitely read in her voice, you know, I can kind of imagine how she would say things and try to figure out tone that way. But I, I definitely do try to imagine how the other person is going to be reading their lines uh, and, and hope that they deliver something similar. Uh, but it's, it's very difficult from the perspective of just being one person delivering lines and not having anyone to interact with. And I think that because I'm not very familiar with acting, maybe that is 
beneficial for me because then I, I don't I don't have the pressure of interacting with someone who is maybe more experienced and I get to do my takes as many times as I want. You know, people don't know if I uh, am, am messing up or what things sound like. So I think that uh, you know, not necessarily interacting one on one with other actors um, might make me more comfortable. But then you have the added confusion of you know you don't know what the other people's tone is going to be like. So it's confusing. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had a couple of cases, and I don't know if I've ever asked you to re-record anything for this reason. But occasionally, there has been a little bit of incongruity between the way that one person reads a line and then what a response is. So it, mm-hmm. it, it does happen occasionally, but I think I can count on one hand the number of times that that's had to happen, which is which is wild to me. And, and, and I mean, this is the kind of thing that I, I think not a lot of people have experience with because pre-pandemic, voice work happened for the most part in a studio. There, there really wasn't mm-hmm. this kind of situation where you're recording your lines cold without hearing the other person and interacting with, with them. So it's, it's, it's new territory for, for everybody. And I, I mean, I'm constantly impressed, not just with, with our show, but the other shows that are out there, how well people pull it off. And maybe it's just, maybe it's just a, 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 the natural way that things work. I don't know, but the way that you guys do it is super impressive. It does let us detach though. I think, you know, sometimes I listen to an episode and I'm like, Ooh, what's going to happen next? Even though I've read the script multiple times, you know, I know what lines I have said. I know what other people's lines are and, and still just listening to it is such a different experience than reading it on the page. Yeah. And so that, that's, that's a, a question. This is one that I, I, I hadn't thought of until just now. And this will be probably spoiler territory if, if, if there's anything that you can think of, but were there any things that happened up through episode eight that surprised you in terms of, you know, like, like, wow, I didn't expect the story to go in this direction. I, I don't know that I was really surprised by anything. I mean, I, I kind of am going into this with, with no expectations. You know, I, you kind of, if, if you listen to the prologue, you kind of know where, where the future lies, uh, but it's all about the journey on on getting to that future. So I I don't have any preconceived notions of you know uh, I, don't, I didn't have any hopes for uh, any of the characters. So I'm just along for the ride. So I don't know if there's anything that I I'm surprised about per se. But there are definitely things that I was was reading into you know that uh, I was wrong about. <laughs> So I won't I won't say specifically, but I think you know. Oh yeah. About. Well, if, if if it's what I'm thinking of, then that one doesn't get fully revealed until episode nine. So yes. so yeah, that, yeah. That, that's 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 often the <laughs> that's off the distant future. And and you know you you mentioned the prologue showing where the story was going to end up. That was something that I did specifically to challenge myself. Mm. I'm already telling people how the story ends. Yeah. So the challenge then becomes how do I get people to to be invested in a story where you already know what the outcome is. So that's, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's about making characters interesting and believable and the kind of people you want to follow and that kind of thing. But it's a challenge to actually do that. Like knowing that that's what you have to do. It, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do it. So, uh, so I, I hope that I, that I've been able to, that I've been able to do this in a similar vein. Do you, do you have any particular moments of Odessa's, in those first eight episodes that you would, that you'd consider like your, your favorite moments or the, the kinds of things you, you look back on your smile, like, yeah, that was, that, that, that was pretty cool. Whether it's performance or something that happened in the plot. 
Um, I the the part that I think really first clicked for me was uh, a scene that you already referred to with the technical data. And uh, I remember going through that and thinking, okay, yeah, I can do this. This is going to be fun because we're referring a little bit to the Fallout 76 that we know and love, but then you're also getting to see characters in a, a new way. And I just, I knew it, it was going to be a fun experience right away. Yeah. And, and, and that's the kind of thing, unfortunately, and, and you know, this being a, being a woman on the internet you have to deal with that kind of thing a lot. So I, I, I don't know if that, if that helped. <laughs> oh yeah. I definitely pulled from past experience there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it was kind of a, a, a double, a, there was a double meaning there. I wanted to, to lampshade what happened in the game with, with all the people who, you know, I mean, if you, if you think about mm-hmm. it, if you, if you look at it from a purely fallout 76 perspective, all of these wastelanders just coming in one after the other to give her technical data. And many of them. And then they flirt with her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's over and over and over, you know, but then also understanding, you know, the more, the more serious and the more sinister side of it is that this is something that women on the internet and not even on the internet, women in general mm-hmm. have to deal with all the time. So the scene was written for laughs, but it's right. also, a serious topic. And I don't know if we want to talk about cut content here. I did write a scene that we discussed and we ultimately decided not to include that showed the mm-hmm. darker side of that. Yeah. And it shows the the danger of that kind of a situation. And, you know, like I said, ultimately we decided that it, that it was too much. It was, it was ultimately inappropriate for the story that we were trying to tell. And it didn't really, it didn't add anything to the story. I think we need to, I, I definitely wanted to protect the the listeners. You know, I mean, it's it's one thing to deal with those issues in kind of a comical way and a way that was already explored in game. You know, we did not add any any new scenarios in that situation, but the scene that was cut was new and it was unexpected. And, and I definitely wanted to protect the listeners that may have experienced something similar because I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that it added to the story. So I, I think it was good that we went in a different direction, but it, it is unfortunately something that uh, people have to deal with on a regular basis. So I think maybe dealing with it in, in the comical lighthearted way uh, was, was more comfortable for the listeners, but then still got across the point of, you know, protecting people and, and being kind to each other and, you know, not harassing women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or anyone else. Right. And, 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 and really, you know, I, we already talked about you bringing that perspective as a scientist to the more technical aspects of it, because that's not a perspective that I have. I, I, I was a journalism major for heaven's sake, <laughs> but I also don't have the perspective of a woman. I don't have to deal with those kinds of things. Even if intellectually I know that they happen, I don't understand what it's like to go through them. Mm-hmm. So you providing that perspective was something that I thought was was very important. And when you, you when, when we discussed it, the way that you the the way that you addressed it and the way that you explained, it, I was like, that makes one hundred percent sense. And you know, it's it's just another example of how you have become a partner in the show and the way that you've made the show better, not just by your performance, but by providing that kind of perspective. 
Well, thank you for giving me that opportunity. I really appreciate you listening. And, uh, you know, I, in my head, I was like, well, you're being bossy. <laughs> I, I asked you to cut an entire scene and I was like, oh, gosh, this might go really bad. But <laughs> you were so receptive and, and kind. And I really appreciate that. Well, with another scene, I might not have been. But but with that one, I, I understood your perspective and I respected it. And, and even going in, I thought, hmm, there have been several story beats that I have wanted to include from the beginning that I had in my outline. And that was one of them. Mm-hmm. But when I got to the point of putting it in there, it was, it didn't feel like I was forcing it in there, but it didn't necessarily fit the way that I would have wanted it to. It didn't come off as organically as I would mm-hmm. need something like that too. Whereas the other stuff that I've done, I feel like it did come off organically. So it was one of those things that I, I did want to include when I was envisioning the season in October or August, I think probably I started, but I wasn't married to it. If we had had a similar discussion about, say, the, and this is one where, where we could have had this discussion, the scene where Odessa gets drugged, because mm-hmm. that's a very serious topic. And I mean, it's it's the only time in the show that we've had a content warning because, I mean, I understand how, how serious that is. I mean, that's it doesn't get much more serious than that. And it's something that had to be dealt with deftly and with, I don't know, I, 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 I'm struggling to even describe the, the way that something like that has to be handled. But it has to be handled appropriately, I guess, is the, the umbrella term. If, if you had come to me and said, I don't think we should have that scene. Then we we would have had a different discussion about it. Mm-hmm. And we might have ultimately cut it. But I think that I was a little bit more tied into that scene as being important to the plot and being important to Amanda's character because it did show off what she does to people who do that kind of thing. And also how protective she had grown of Odessa because of how important Odessa is to Beth. So that one I think made more sense in context. So, and and that's probably, I'm guessing that's probably why you, you were more comfortable with it. I'm sure you weren't entirely comfortable with it. It was definitely a difficult scene, but I do think that the listener is a bit more protected because I feel like we know that she is safe. She's in a situation where she is protected. She's with people that are, you know, keeping her safe. And I, I feel like we did not, feel as a listener that things were going to get out of control. So I think that that was kind of a different scenario and and hopefully people felt a little bit more comfortable listening to that because they knew that they were in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they knew that Amanda was going to be there mm-hmm. to save the day at the end and nothing ultimately would have happened to her. And, and really the worst that could have happened to her was what happened, which was that she did get right. drugged, but the situation didn't play out the way that, that the that the male character had wanted it to play out. And of course, I was not 100% sure if I wanted to do it this way, but I ended up doing it this way. Having him come to a gruesome end at the end of the scene, oh, yeah, which it could have come off as trying a little bit too hard, because even though the character clearly deserved it, I, I wasn't 100% sure about it. And I, I could have played it a little bit differently where he didn't get eaten by super mutants, but maybe they just took him outside and beat the crap out of him or something like that. But I, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what, this guy deserves to have the most horrifying end that I can, that I can think of that will pass for a PG 13 podcast. <laughs> and, and one thing, I don't know if I told you this, but Rob, 
sent over when he sends dialogue over generally speaking he sends over one big file and doesn't necessarily edit it out it's it's more pretty much like this is what he records and he mentioned through that as he was going through the dialogue he's like god i hate this character so much <laughs> i'm like good you're supposed to but absolutely yeah, but he did a great job with it he or rob yeah, yeah and that's i feel bad I, if i want to cast rob he's as, such a nice guy <laughs> he is he's a great guy he's he's so nice and i, I want to cast him as a nice character at some point yeah <laughs> he, de- he deserves redemption none of his characters so far have deserved redemption but <laughs> rob the person absolutely deserves redemption there so we touched on this a little bit but but one of the things that that I've that I've noticed is the way that you perform and part of this is just being a good actress which you are but it it feels to me when I'm listening to your dialogue as it comes in in even as I'm just when your dialogue track is the only thing that I have laid down at that point it it really mm-hmm. feels like this character means more to you than just Hey, this is a, a thing I'm doing. You know, it, like she she's more mm-hmm. than words on a page to you. Is is that something you feel? Like it certainly comes off that way, but I'm I'm curious about your feelings about that. Um it's, it's definitely more than a character. Um I mean, this has been a, a great experience. It's been a lot of fun and I always find that I really don't do anything just a little bit in my life. I'm either all in or I'm not in at all. So I get really passionate about everything and I want to be successful in this endeavor and make sure that the podcast is successful and you know we reach as many people as we can. And I really do think that it is a great representation of a, a, just a new way to see this universe, not just the Fallout 76 universe, but it's just a great story in general. So I definitely think that Odessa is more than words on a page. Absolutely. I did have a couple of, I guess, kind of fun what if kinds of questions. Okay. Let's say that Beth and Odessa never met. Right. How do you think Odessa's life in Appalachia would have played out in that case? Um, I think that at least short term, she would have been a little more safe in her choices, you know, maybe choosing um, interests that are a little closer to the Brotherhood, if not Brotherhood members. So maybe like Casey, for example, would be someone that she potentially could have dated. So I feel like she would have probably started going back to dating now that she's like recovered mentally from past breakups with Derek. I think that she would have started dating would she have been as passionate? I don't know, but definitely staying, you know, brotherhood. I don't, I don't see her leaving the brotherhood or anything like that because she is so loyal to that brotherhood family. But I think that she maybe would have stayed more scribe-like and not gone out into the field at least as quickly. You know, I think that meeting Beth definitely kind of threw her out there into uh, places that she maybe wasn't as comfortable. But yeah, I, I definitely would have seen or imagined her like dating uh, soon. You know, I think she was ready, just ready for romance. <laughs> Finally ready again. And and, yeah. and it is in the, in, in the text that she was considering asking Casey out right before mm-hmm. she met Beth. Like she had, she had gotten to that point mentally even before Beth showed up in her life. So she had, she had had that. I mean, we, we've all had difficult breakups. We, we haven't all necessarily had 
engagements break off like Odessa did. And we don't really talk explicitly about the details of what went down there, but it was clearly a catastrophic emotional experience for her. She felt betrayed mm -hmm. and she was, she was crushed. So that takes time to recover from, but eventually most people do recover from that kind of a thing. And like we said, you know, Casey was, was kind of right there and she was interested in Odessa and Odessa was interested in her as well. So maybe that would have been a thing there. Yeah. Their circles absolutely overlap. So mm -hmm. it would make sense. Yeah. And, 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 and maybe this isn't necessarily something I've thought a lot about, but maybe Casey would have in a similar way to Beth, but differently gotten her to, to come out of her shell a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, encourage her to go out. Cause you know, Casey was also a vault dweller who has a completely different background and she's a gregarious person. You know, she's an extrovert who who likes to go out and meet people and, and do that kind of a thing. So I think if they were together, maybe there would be some natural opportunities for Odessa to get that, get out there in the wasteland and meet people and also potentially get involved in those kinds of those kinds of missions just in a different way. There are a lot of great original characters out there though in Fallout. So you never know. Maybe someone would have delivered technical data that would have been very convincing. <laughs> yeah, and that that was I I love the way you you performed this part. I think it I think it was in episode eight where Beth asks Odessa if she was ever tempted by any of the wastelanders. <laughs> and Odessa's like, ah, I don't know, maybe. So it's <laughs> so she it, she didn't completely shut the idea down, but maybe just the, the right wastelander hadn't hadn't come through. Absolutely, I'm sure that there are an array of OCs that that would yes. that would like to be that person. <laughs> <laughs> Here's this is this is another one, and you and I have talked about this. What do you think Odessa and Amanda got up to? in the two weeks that Beth was away? Um, definitely a lot of hijinks. I mean, that I feel like they would have gotten to some, you know, fun mischief. <laughs> uh, I can definitely imagine uh, Amanda coming up with all these tasks and Valdez just fixing things. <laughs> you know, like, like, hey, here's this thing. What can you do with this? And then she fixes it real quick. And uh, it would be so handy in the wasteland to have an engineer just hanging out all the time. So I imagine she was probably pretty busy just helping out. <laughs> it was one of those things that I didn't I didn't really talk about. And Odessa just sort of mentions that they had a lot of fun while Beth was away. But that's that's exactly the kind of thing that I was picturing. Like they just got into trouble together. Mm -hmm. Odessa not trying to get into trouble. But, but right, but, just along for the ride. Yep. <laughs> but I, I, I could that that could be like a like a side series of of those two in that, <laughs> those two weeks, just just getting into getting into all kinds of trouble, and then I'm sure they were busy. Whatever they did, they were quite busy. But it is clear that they they definitely grew a lot closer in that time, and they they understood each other better, and they became they became friends. You know, they, they had that 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 sort of transformational experience when Amanda had to had to save her. And that can sort of kickstart that kind of a relationship where it, it, it can make them more comfortable with each other and sort of accelerate the the trajectory of their friendship. Yeah. And Lucy did such a great job. Just fantastic. And I, I know I felt a lot of pressure because she has so much more experience as in voice work than I do. So I was excited to get to work so closely with her. Yeah, she she's great. And and I, and, and that's another thing. It's it's you never know what kind of chemistry actors are going to have together until you actually put them together. 
and it's a different situation here because as we've discussed mm-hmm. at length, we're not in the same room. So it's a different kind of chemistry, but I feel like you and Letitia have great chemistry, but you and Lucy mm-hmm. also have great chemistry, even though it's a different kind of great chemistry, which is awesome. Yeah, it is very different. So let's say that there was a mirror universe in Fallout 76. <laughs> and fair warning, this is something that that Lawrence and I have talked about. What would you picture a mirror universe version of Odessa Valdez being like? Um, well, I know that there was uh, at one point talks of having a possibility where Valdez takes over the Brotherhood. So instead of Shin or Romani, they wanted to originally have a third option in Fallout 76 to have Valdez be in charge. And I think that sure would be fun. She would do a great job. So maybe Mirror Valdez is in charge of the Brotherhood. I don't know. I don't know if she would want that job, though. Maybe she gets out of the Brotherhood and isn't uh, working with the Brotherhood anymore. Gosh, there's lots of possibilities. Yeah, there there, there are. And, and I'm a pretty big Star Trek fan. And obviously, the, you know, the concept is it, it's the concept is played out in a lot of different places. But I think Star Trek is probably the most famous one. And in that first Mirror Universe episode, Spock comes off as not necessarily evil. He's more logical than our Spock. And he's much more pragmatic mm-hmm. about the way that he approaches things. And I think that's kind of what I picture a mirror Valdez being. Mm-hmm. Like not evil, but maybe colder and more calculating and more pragmatic, which plays right into what you're talking about, which is her looking at Shin and Romani and saying, okay, Shin, you're a maniac. <laughs> Romani, you are weak. Yeah. I'm going to run this place. Yeah, she's like a happy medium between mm-hmm. the two. And I think I'm trying to remember, I started to write something and I think that she was, it's been a while, I need to look at it again, but the title was the Raider Queen of Appalachia. <laughs> and I think that the conceit was she did take over the Brotherhood, renamed it the Sisterhood of Steel, made it into a completely woman-led organization with Amanda as her partner, like not romantic partner, but it's almost business partner. So there's that relationship between the Sisterhood and the Raiders with Amanda having grown into a position where she's the number one Raider in the land. So I guess it's who who runs the world girls girls run the the world in the mirror universe. Wow, you never know. Yeah, it's 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 possible. But yeah, there there's all kinds of fun fun things like that that you can you can explore when you have a blank canvas like this. It's a uh, it's fun. So one one other thing I was wondering about, do, do you have any advice for someone who wants to get into voice acting? You're relatively new to it like you said. Were there any mm-hmm. gotchas? Were there any uh, you know mistakes that you feel that you made going in? Were there any any things that you you would think you know if I had a, a time machine, other than going back twenty years and buying Google stock, this is this is what <laughs> I would tell myself going in that I that I wish I had known. Is there anything like that? Um, I think it's too early to tell. I think I'm still at the start of this journey hopefully. And uh, I have a lot to learn about acting and voice acting in general. So this whole experience has been a learning process. So I I think I'm still in the infancy of, you know, learning about voice acting. So I don't know that I have uh, any advice. Uh, Advice that I give myself is try to speak more slowly 
because I live in the north and I feel like I I speak very quickly just in my general day-to-day life and that does not translate well to something like a podcast. So I consistently am telling myself to slow down. Um, You know, we recently you were telling me about how I say my T's weird and now I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to say T's properly. There are definitely a lot of words that because I live in Pittsburgh, I definitely have some Pittsburghese, which I did not think that I had. But uh, this experience has definitely brought to light that there are definitely some things that I do not pronounce correctly. Uh, so I, I, I have a lot to learn, <laughs> but not a whole lot of advice right now. Yeah, it's it's and I can tell you that everybody has things like that. I have a cavalcade of accents that compete with each other all the time. So I I I completely understand that, and I think I've I've kind of settled on that that generic <laughs> Midwestern newscaster accent, which I had been practicing since I was about thirteen. Mm-hmm. So I I think I I think I pretty much have it down now. But but another example. You know, you talked about the tea thing, and and the tea thing was specific to that one audition. Mm-hmm. I think in general, your teas are fine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. But, so one example, I, I don't have a speech impediment, but I do pronounce my R's labiodentally. There, there's two ways that mm-hmm. the human mouth can make the R sound. And the way that I do it, if I speak too quickly, or if sometimes if I'm tired, it will make the R sound like a W. You're probably not familiar with the, the the British TV presenter Jonathan Ross. No, but he he has a speech impediment that comes from pronouncing your R's labiodentally. So they they and this is mean, and I don't do it myself, but they, they call him Wassy because his name is he'll be Jonathan Wass, you know, because of the way that he pronounces him. So that's the kind of thing that I occasionally have to fight. So we all have, I think, I think <laughs> battles that we fight there. So you're you're <laughs> you're, you're definitely. You're definitely not alone. Would you like to uh, tell everybody about your Twitch channel? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, On Twitch, I am a variety streamer and I like to stream pretty much just games that I want to play. We do community games. I do a lot of Fallout 76, but I also love point and click adventure games. Sometimes I do Lego builds. It's just all about having fun and just sharing a lot of the things that I love with other people. So uh, not not a whole lot of structure other than I, I want to spend some of my video game playing free time with my community. And you built up a really, a really fun community there. I have to say it's, it's universally a bunch of really nice, cool people. They're, they're a ton of fun to interact with Uh-oh. when, when I'm able to pop onto the stream. So, so I, I definitely highly recommend going there and Checking out some streams, subscribing, all that kind of good stuff. Remember, it's twitch.tv slash vitrioplays. That's V-I-T-R-I-O-L-P-L-A-Y-S. And as I mentioned at the top, you can also find her on Twitter at Plays Vitriol. I highly recommend that you check out both of those places. You can interact with her there. And of course, you can listen to her in Once Upon a Wasteland. You can go back and listen to those Modus Files episodes that she was in. And I have every confidence that you're going to be hearing a lot more of vitriol in various voice projects, whether they're in the fallout community, the the larger Bethesda audio drama community, and even outside of that. So vitriol, thank you so much for joining us. We are looking forward to all of the stuff that you're going to be working on. And I'm sure that there is going to be a ton of it. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to this mini-sode. Thank you for listening to the show in general. 
for supporting us by amplifying our posts on Twitter, for telling your friends, for leaving ratings and reviews. All of it is vastly appreciated. I'm Brad Williams, and this has been Once Upon a Wasteland, Character Matters, Odessa Valdez. Odessa Valdez.